When archaeologists find a village built on the remains of another village, it may point towards a cosmic catastrophe. And then we travel to the Grand Canyon to meet a young man out on a Boy Scout trip. He thought he was just going to earn some merit badges. But he may have unlocked the mystery of why people just disappear. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day, too. I hope you guys enjoyed the ending of yesterday's episode, where I just said, uh, why cows for three minutes straight, and then the episode just kind of ended. Hope you guys enjoyed that. I'm still wondering why cows. It's still very puzzling, but I'll continue to keep that puzzle in the back of my mind, and we'll talk about it for three minutes and then just kind of end. Instead... I'll give a shout-out to our newest Patreon supporter, Luis. Everyone give a round of applause to Luis. He's riding a cow. I'm like, oh, great. Great. Oh, it's back in my head. Luis is doing cow tricks, if that's a thing. Luis, you're going to be our captain, our pilot of this episode. If you can't support the Patreon, I totally understand. Just help spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. Luis, go ahead and hop on that cow. I'm going to toss you the keys, too. The Dead Rabbit Dune Buggy. Ring, 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 ring. We are leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. It's a new place. We'll have a play set coming out in 2021. It's really cool. We are leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are headed out to Syria. Ring, ring, ring. Dead Rabbit Dune Buggy's jumping over a bunch of sand dunes. Ring. It's pretty dope. Doing tricks. Cow. There's a cow in the back. There's a cow in the back giving us a thumbs up. We're like, what? We didn't know cows had thumbs. This one does. We are headed out to Syria and we're going back in time. And I mean back in time. So hit that time travel button as opposed to just regular back in time. If you say it differently, you go farther back. We're headed back 12,800 years ago. God, I don't know why I put the emphasis on the 800. That's the least impressive part. 12,800 years ago. Going through the time vortex. Now, as Luis is navigating the time vortex, I turn to you and I say, Hey, so I found this article the other day. You're like, Jason, is that every episode of your show? Why are you making such a big deal? It's all about you finding articles or people sending the articles. True, true, true. But it was interesting. I came across these articles the other day and it talked about are our gods created by meteorites? This is really, really interesting. It's a series of articles I read. 25 or 30% of all meteorites have the same shape. It's the shape of a cone. It's the shape of like a conical object, they say, that actually helps it maintain stability as it's through the atmosphere, less likely to break up. And they're specifically talking about iron meteorites. They've been able to track back in history, King Tut, one of his knives, was made of iron from a from a meteorite, which is pretty dope. And they know it wasn't just accidental. Some guy wasn't like, man, I really need to make a dagger for the emperor. Uh, I'll do that. They knew, they called it from the sky. That was the type of iron it was. So they knew it was from a meteorite. You can go back and you can look at, there's Bible verses. There is a Bible verse in Acts where they talk about the statue of Diana that fell from the sky. And people are always like, oh, is that like a turn of phrase or something like that? No, modern archaeologists believe that the statue of Diana, the image of the goddess Diana or Artemis in Greek mythology, that was in her temple at Ephesus, it was described as a cone. It was described as a cone-shaped rock. So they think that it was a meteorite that came down. And of course you would think 
that was divine back then find this thing sitting there and they go even modern depictions or later depictions of diana she had like a bunch of boobs and they said that they think that was actually a modification from the original sometimes meteorites will land and they'll have these like weird like ridges on them that if you try to emulate them they could look like a bunch of boobs the idea was is that some of the earliest worship idol worship was from meteorites because you're in the middle of nowhere, and then all of a sudden there's just this chunk of iron. And if you're lucky enough, you saw it fall. But even if you're walking through a forest, and there was a cone of iron just sitting on the forest floor, you're going to think there's something divine about them. But that's just a little taste for the story. I just kind of thought that was fascinating to talk about. <laughs> Luis is taking us out of the time void. We are now in Syria 12,800 years ago. There's a village... Off in the distance, and Luis is getting us closer, and I kind of go, no, slow down, buddy. Slow down. We don't want to get too close to this place. So we're standing on a ridge, and what we're looking at below us is the Syrian village known as Abu Hureya. Now, almost all of this information I got from an article on the Smithsonian website. It was written by Javier Barbuzano. So thank you, Javier. Really cool research you did on this. 12,800 years ago, there was a village there known as Abu Hureya. Well, kind of. That's kind of what it was known as. Just a village. is probably really unnamed at that time. So we're sitting there, and it's dawn, and we start to see the hunters gather up their supplies. They're going to go out. They're going to look for fresh meat. It might take them a couple days. It's not the easiest thing to go down and track a woolly mammoth or a sea monster or whatever was in this region at the time. We also see the gatherer contingent. They're getting their baskets ready. They heard They heard in the news. They heard, they heard from the papyrus. There's a cool new berry patch somewhere off in the mountains. It'll probably take like eight-hour trip to get out there. Get some berries, man. But we know something's coming. We could warn them, but we don't want to interrupt the timeline. We're just kind of sitting there. We're all eating our grilled cheese sandwiches. First, we see it. And we look up, even though it's a sunny day, you can see the flames in the sky. (gasps) Huge fiery chunks are entering the Earth's atmosphere. (sighs) You look over at me and you go, Jason, are we a safe distance from what I assume will be a catastrophe? I go, probably. (gasps) It's so loud at this point. You can't, you can't hear me running back to the Dead Rabbit Doom buggy trying to start it. I don't know if we're far enough away from this thing. What is going on is a comet had fragmented in space. And it was as it was passing through our solar system, fragments of this comet began to enter the Earth's atmosphere. Now, most of them just burnt up. But the theory is, is that one of them was large enough that survived the entrance into our atmosphere, and when it got to a certain point, it burst in the sky. You might go, oh, that's cool. Maybe like a nice little rain shower of hot hot iron. A bunch of new gods were born that day. No, when a comet air bursts in the sky, this is the theory, each one is as powerful as a nuclear bomb. Let's fast forward to the year 1972. They're going to build a dam at Lake Assad in Syria. And archaeologists know that this area is important. They know that there used to be a really big settlement here called Abu Huraya. 
It was one of the biggest settlements in the area. It was a huge center for trade, a huge agricultural center. It was the place to be in ancient Syria. But they're going to build this dam. It's going to be flooded. And archaeologist goes, okay, just give us like a year. They're like hurrying up. They're dusting stuff off. As guys are like getting the bricks on the dam, the water's just kind of starting to get held back. They're like, can you can you slow down a bit? And they're like, no, no, we're not. They think it's hilarious <laughs> watching the archaeologist brush stuff super fast. They're breaking skulls. They're like, oh, I'm so scared. Archaeologists had like a year or two to do as much as they could with this place before it was all underwater after this dam was completed. But as they were going through it, and they knew the history of the region, they knew it was an agricultural center, they realized something. Abu Huraya was built on top of another village. Now, that's not super unusual. Places got raised, generally due to war, or someone would just someone just wanted to rearrange the furniture, so they knocked down all the thatched huts and built, like, clay adobe huts. But they started to notice something. The village underneath Abu Huraya was hunter-gatherer. The one on top of it was an agricultural, not again, not just an agricultural place, but an agricultural powerhouse. And they go, okay, that makes sense. We do know that hunter-gatherer societies just stopped because it got harder to find food. There was an ice age at a certain point that lasted like 1,300 years. The woolly mammoth died off. It became more difficult. So people moved to agricultural. This isn't, again, super unusual. Fascinating, but not so fascinating that I'm going to get drowned. We can't spend a lot of time. But what they start to notice is that in the old settlement, there's a ton of glass, a ton of minerals that should not be there. Now, when I say glass, it's not like they had a neat little little stained glass window there. As they were looking at it, they said, the only thing that could burn something this hot, not just the glass, they said, whatever was here, the entire village was torched. They said it would take 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit to do this level of damage to the soil. And no village at that time period, 12,800 years ago, would be able to generate that kind of heat. They said volcanoes don't generate that kind of heat. Doing all the soil samples, looking at everything they have, they come to the conclusion there is a theory that about 12,000 years ago, a comet or some sort of cosmic disaster happened, plunged us into an ice age for 1,300 years. They believe this village was ground zero. The theory is is that a comet airburst over the village and nuked the entire area. Burnt it to the ground. Everything that was there was instantly vaporized. But what they also noticed was Abu Huraya, the town that they knew of from historical texts, had the same tools. They had the same cultural markers as the hunter-gatherer tribe beneath it. So the theory is, is that the hunters went out and the gatherers went out their respective ways. And in the village, you had the elders, you had the children, you had the children's caretakers. And while those two groups were away, the city was incinerated. When the hunters and the gatherers returned, which I'm sure they would have heard that. Didn't matter if you were three days away on foot. You heard a nuclear blast. When they returned, there was nothing left of the village which you would obviously chalk up to some sort of religious act. So the theory is because the culture seemed the same through the artifacts, that the hunters, the gatherers came back and they just rebuilt a new town on top of it and they immediately dropped their hunter-gatherer lifestyle. Well, they probably did it for a little bit. They probably weren't like, oh, I need to wait for this wheat to grow. No, 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 don't hunt, don't hunt. We got to sit there and look at this wheat. They said it wasn't the first tribe in the area to do agriculture, but it was the best at it. Which I'm wondering if somehow this 
cosmic radiation. <laughs> Jason, you're like, yesterday you talked about Batman comic books. The world isn't Fantastic Four. What if the cosmic radiation from... You're like, Jason, you were doing so well. Just telling a good science story. What if the cosmic radiation from the comet actually did help them grow wheat and stuff there? Who knows? Again, that's... <laughs> That's non-scientific, but this is known as the only human population center that's ever been destroyed by a meteor or a comet. It's never happened before, as far as we know. And there are people who say, no, there was no younger dry-ass period, and that's what it's called when that mini-ice age happened. And Yeah, it happened, but it didn't have anything to do with the comet. The science isn't fully there on that, but the archaeologists and scientists who look at this area go, the, the soil, this can only be generated by a airburst of a comet. So this could actually be proof of that theory that a comet got caught into Earth's atmosphere and plunged humanity into a mini ice age. Either way, a fascinating story, whether or not <laughs> or not my version where Audrey 2 came down and was like, grow wheat. They're like, what? Grow wheat! Or just, <laughs> or just that this is the only time we know of, of a human civilization being wiped out by an airburst or really in a sort of comet or meteorite. Either way, it's an interesting story of human human endurance. They're like, oh, well, that sucked. My kids were there and they all got incinerated, but let's build another town. And it's actually, now that I think about it, it is a story of human survival and human endurance. But at the end, someone goes, well, let's just build a dam here. And it all got washed away, even though the fire of the universe couldn't destroy this town. Eventually, some guy was like, I, I want fresh water in my area. So they flooded the entire thing. But either way, I find it very, very fascinating. Luis, let's go ahead and give you the keys to the carpenter copter. I have a little Audrey 2 in a pot. She's taking a ride with us. Let's leave behind Syria. We are headed out to the Grand Canyon. Luis is actually flying through the Grand Canyon. It's super dope. Like that movie Blue Thunder or Airwolf or one of those one of those helicopter things. This story actually originated on, I believe, the export. I saw a green text of it online. I didn't see the original thread. But we don't have a year. We don't have a name. These are things that happen when stuff is posted anonymous, anonymously on the web. Those are details I like. I at least like a date. However you got to play the hand you're dealt. I do find it a fascinating story, so we're still going to explore it. Luis, land the helicopter right here, and we're just going to walk. We're just going to walk along the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And currently also at the bottom of the Grand Canyon, there are a bunch of Boy Scouts. They're also on a little nature hike, and the Scoutmaster is like, everyone, look, the Grand Canyon. This is... Look, look on both sides of you. Isn't it grand? There's a wall on this side. There's a wall on that side. There's a little creek beneath us. This is swell. And the other Boy Scouts are like, do we get a merit badge for like looking at both canyon walls? And he's like, you get two merit badges. They're like, all right. We're going to call the narrator of this story. Let's call him Bobby. Bobby's a 14-year-old boy. So Bobby is walking with the rest of this group through the Grand Canyon. Now he explains that there's basically two groups here. Fast walkers are at the front. Slower people are near the back. And he goes, listen, I did cross country at the time, but I had a friend who wasn't very fast, so I kind of hung back with him. Because, you know, just fun walking through the Grand Canyon. He also says he's a big rock nerd. Really, really enjoys the sedimentary life. So he's walking through the Grand Canyon with his buddy. And farther up ahead are the rest of them. You know, Boy Scouts are pretty self-sufficient. The Scout, they're not a bunch of babies. The Scoutmaster knows that the kids in back are going to be able to take care of themselves. So he's walking up through with the fast kids. 
Bobby's walking and he's kind of just taking in all the geological formations around him. His buddy's talking about probably Pokemon or something like that. As he's walking through the Grand Canyon with his buddy and taking in all the sights and the not sounds, just rocks. So there's no sounds. They're just there. He sees a vein of andesite. He thinks to himself, that's weird. Andesite shouldn't be at this point in the Grand Canyon. This part of it shouldn't have that. Fact check, I don't know. The only thing I know about the Grand Canyon is (laughs) that it's a big old cut in the earth. And so he goes, hey man, I'm going to go check out this andesite vein. And and the buddy knew he was a big rock nerd, so he didn't really think anything about it. So Bobby starts kind of climbing up little ridges in the Grand Canyon. He's <laughs> not at the top. He's not Spider-Man. He didn't crawl all the way to the top, but he's kind of like working his way around the sides, the bottom sides of the Grand Canyon. He's following this andesite trail. And then he says he comes across the flower that's popping out of this andesite vein. He goes, I've never seen a flower like it before. To be fair, he's not a flower nerd. This flower may exist. But he's looking at this flower and he said it was unusual because it had green petals. I hadn't seen a flower like this before. And as he's kind of looking at the flower, he goes, something in me made me want to touch the flower itself. He says that when he pressed on the flower, the leaves almost acted as some sort of Venus flytrap mechanism. They close shut and at the same time, pollen shoots out of the flower and gets in his face. <laughs> this is why I like rocks. This is why I like rocks. They never hurt you unless it's a landslide or a rock slide. Of rocks, rocks, help, help. He's getting hit in the face with all this pollen. And he says almost immediately his body goes into a state of panic. Which would make sense. I got shot in the face with a fire extinguisher. More than once, actually. It sucked every time. But the first time it happened... You get panicked because you don't know what's going on. It sucks all the oxygen out of your lungs. It totally sucks, dude. I got shot in the face with a couple fire extinguishers. The first time was the worst because you just start... <gasps> like you can't... It, 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 you, it, you go into an instant panic thing. Now, that was, fine. <laughs> that was fine compared to what's about to happen to this guy. But I can understand the second you're hit with some sort of bizarre powder, it does kind of freak you out. He's hit with this powder from this flower... And he immediately feels fear wash over his body. Not shock, where you're emotionless, but pure fear. And he starts to run away from the flower. He scrambles down the mountain. And at this point, even the slower group's a bit ahead of him, because he kind of peeled off. He's heading down, not the mountain, he's headed down the side of the Grand Canyon. And he's running, and he sees the slow group in front of him, and he starts to slow down. The danger has passed. Whatever that flower was is gone. He's going he's gonna to go home and destroy all the flowers in his house with the mighty rock. He starts to slow down as he gets to the group. And as he's slowing down, the fear begins to well up in him once again. Inhuman fear. This isn't like, I don't want to walk by a sewer grate because I'm afraid Pennywise is going to get me. It's Pennywise has me and he's about to eat my soul. It's the most intense fear you can experience. He's slowing down. He feels it begin to well up in him. He begins running again. He's running not just from the flower at this point. He's running from the fear. He runs past the slow group. Hey, Bobby, where are you going? Huh? He's running. <gasps> and as he's running, he's feeling his body want to slow back down. But every time he slows down, the fear gets worse. The only thing that keeps the fear at bay is the speed. <sighs> he's running. He's running through the Grand Canyon. Imagine like a Roadrunner cartoon. There's like dust kicking up from behind him. He's running. He's running so fast that he's very quickly gaining on the fast group. And they were much farther up the canyon. He's running. He can see the fast group in front of him. He can't stop, though. 
He knows he can't stop. People see him just hauling down the Grand Canyon. <laughs> they see a coyote-shaped silhouette at the top with a box of dynamite. They're like, uh. They see him running through the canyon. The Scoutmaster obviously knows something wrong. He's thinking that someone must have got injured in the slow group. And this kid's trying to warn him. But as Bobby's approaching the fast group, they can tell he's not slowing down. He runs right past them. The Scoutmaster at this point is now pursuing Bobby through the Grand Canyon. As well as other scouts are now trying to chase him down as well. They have no idea what's going on. They just know this kid is running, blows past him, and is running to who knows where. Eventually, the Scoutmaster catches up to Bobby. Scoutmaster gets a hold of him. Bobby needs to run. He's trying, his feet are up in the air. His feet are kicking up in the air as the Scoutmaster is holding him. Beep, beep. The Scoutmaster, supposedly, this is where the story gets a little weird, but <laughs> in the flower, this is where you start to go, oh, maybe. The Scoutmaster gets the kid in a chokehold. And other kids also have to hold Bobby down. And then Bobby passes out, like in an 80s action movie. You know, you can pass out and wake up later. But whatever. Again, this is where the, the story was going to go, maybe. But Bobby passes out, and then he comes to later, and everyone's standing around him, and they're like, dude, what happened? And he tells the story about the flower. They were actually on their way to a Native American reservation. And when he got there, he asked, hey, you guys know anything about this flower? And they're like, no, we've never heard of anything like that. Now, I, like I said, I saw this on Reddit. So you had a bunch of people saying maybe it was Datura, maybe it was some sort of hallucinogen flower and things like that. And they're kind of picking the story apart from that angle. Going back to the green text itself, Bobby ended the story by saying, I thought this was an interesting point. He goes... That happened when I was 14 years old. Every time I hear in the news or when I'm looking at stuff like Missing 411 or things like that, and you hear about people disappearing in one location and then they're found 30 miles away and people always go, there's no way they could have done that. There's no way they could have made that journey. He said he ran six miles in 30 minutes. He goes, I'm a fit guy, like he said. He was doing cross country, but I was completely wasted. They actually, when they were trying to figure out a way to get him out of the Grand Canyon, at a certain point, they were t- like talking about they went and got a horse to help get him out of there because he was so physically beat. But he was able to get back to his feet. But six miles and 30 minutes, he shouldn't have been able to do that. Around a five-minute mile it is doable. But to be able to keep that up for six miles is very, very difficult. So that is an endurance thing. He goes, but i reminded of my own experience with that flower whenever I hear about people who are missing in one location and are found 30 miles away up on a cliff or something like that. That's an interesting little clue to stories like Missing 411, where you have someone, a kid even, go missing in the bushes, and then they're found on the edge of a mountaintop, dead. People go, there's no way this kid could get up there. But if the kid was under the influence of some sort of adrenaline drug, you could take someone who was six or seven and basically run until they died. That's what Bobby said. He goes, if I was there by myself, I truly feel I would have ran until I just died. I would have kept running. And when I fell down to the ground, I would run in the circles. <laughs> run in a circle like the three stooges. Woo, 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 woo. And then eventually burrow into the earth. He would drill down into the earth, never to be found again. This story, even though it has some fantastical elements, I don't know why I'm so hung up on, on him getting knocked out. That just seems so cliche. And usually, like, you're blacked out for, like, just a couple seconds. If it's any longer than that, you do need a helicopter. You do need to, like, get on a horse to get out of there. It is an interesting clue, though to that story of people who are in an area and then just vanish and people are searching the area and searching the area and they're either never found 
or they're found miles away than they should be. It doesn't happen often, but when you look at stories like Missing 411, which, if you don't know, is a collection of missing people reports in national parks in the United States, that's very common in those rare events of people just kind of disappearing from where they should be and ending up 30 miles away. And it could be kids. It, it doesn't matter really like what their physical fitness is. Most people couldn't, even the most fit person would have a hard time running six miles, especially through the wilderness. And these people aren't just six miles away. They're 10, 20 miles away. It's spooky to think that you could be out minding your own business in nature or not even really just minding your own business, appreciating nature, enjoying the beauty of it and seeing a small, harmless plant, and just, out of curiosity, touching it. It's almost like nature is punishing you because you have a quest for knowledge. I think an interest, and we'll wrap it up like this, if this flower exists, I almost feel like it's not being used to its full potential. Imagine you're an an athlete. There's no way you could drug test for this. Right? right, It's right before the big track meet. (laughs) Take a, take a, they might be a little suspicious that you're carrying around a potted plant and you're like, oh no, this is part of my training regime. And then you just run, like the race hasn't even started yet. You're like, can't stop, gotta go fast. You're running around, it'd be amazing for endurance athletes. Could you imagine a terrorist group getting a hold of this? It's the year 2021, everyone's in a crowd, it's Thanksgiving, it's Black Friday. Someone turns this into an aerosol, lets it loose. The only thing, I mean, people obviously would just say there was some sort of stampede at Walmart. Bunch of people got killed. Everyone else was found six miles away. You could do so many things with this flower. Other than answer the question of, is this what happens to people when they go missing and are found long ways away? You can also, you can weaponize, you could turn it into a torture thing. The government's like, tell us what we want to know because we're going to throw this flower at you. You're tied to a chair. You're like, what? Either throw it wouldn't make any Threat wouldn't make any sense to you the first time, but they throw this flower apparently at Super Mario Brothers. Luigi standing there in a trench coat smoking a cigar. They throw this flower at you, and you're tied to a chair, and you just become so overwhelmed with fear you can't run. And then they get you in a chokehold. This is very complicated. They get you in a chokehold, and they or they make you black out somehow. And then you come to, and they're like, "Tell us what we want, or we're gonna throw another. <laughs> we're gonna throw another flower at you." He's like, "No." There's a lot of things you could do with this. It's interesting to think that one small flower could cause so much chaos, even though 90% of it I made up. 90% of it may not happen, but it could. If this flower is real, there will be people looking for it for these reasons, dude. Every athlete in the world would love to get a hold of this thing. Maybe not all of them. Maybe not like badminton. But, you know, like football players and stuff like that. Any any sport that involves a lot of running, take a little sniff, take a little sniff of this flower, get going. Nature can be feared. Nature can be tamed. Nature can destroy cities. And then men use nature to feed themselves. The analogy stopped working halfway through. But, because, you know, they're building like wheat and stuff like that. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. My point is, is that if you're ever walking through the woods and you see a little flower you don't recognize, don't smell it. If you are a terrorist, if you're a terrorist and you happen to be listening to this episode, don't, don't, don't listen to anything I said about throwing flowers in shopping centers. Flowers can be beautiful and they can be deadly, but most of the time they're only deadly to our insect neighbors, not to humans. Sometimes if you eat one, you're going to die. And... Cows sometimes eat flowers and give poison milk. I think I covered that in a past story. (laughs) If I didn't, I apologize, but it's true. 
Cows used to eat flowers and their milk would be poisoned. I think Edgar Allan Poe's mom or Mark Twain's mom or one of the president's moms died from that. Did I cover that? Did I cover that in another story? I think I did. Flowers can be beautiful. Cows can eat them. And the president's mom can die. These things we all know. But normally we think of that. It's something totally unusual for you to come across a flower, to smell it, and to have for just a moment a taste of fear so intense it overrides your body. Bobby thought he was just on a nature hike with the Boy Scouts. But instead, that day he earned his merit badge in pure cosmic horror. DeadRabbitRadio.gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at Facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. Twitter is at DeadRabbitRadio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. <laughs>